Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for singing with me. It is one of the things that I love about being together is when we get to worship the Lord together. And so just hearing your voices, drowning mine out a little bit, probably is a good thing too, but I just appreciate that time. And you know, over the last few weeks, as we've been going through 2 Kings, one of the things that you've probably noticed is how many of the king's families were just broken, and how that was trickling down to doing more and more damage in their families and in their communities. But last week, we saw this one man, a man named Jehoiada, a priest, who was willing to rescue that little baby boy, the last living descendant of King David. And because of his faith and obedience to God, that baby was rescued, which would eventually lead to the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But what I didn't notice until I was sitting with my men's group this week as we were kind of talking through this and how we apply it, somebody pointed out, like, it's not just Jehoiada. Actually, first, it was his wife, Jehosheba, who grabbed that baby and said, we've got to save this child. And so it was really cool just kind of looking at that together and thinking the impact that a husband and a wife can have on their community, on their own family, in their case, even on history, because they had God at the center and obedience to God as their focus. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a step back from 2 Kings, because if you step back all the way to Genesis chapter 2, which is still like page one of the Bible, you actually see that God created that first marriage and called it good. So just as much as Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat can be a great example of that, actually God wants that for all of our marriages. And so today we've invited a special friend, Shanti Feldhahn, who is going to share with us because Shanti was trained at Harvard. She's an analytical researcher She's been featured on anything from Focus on the Family to the New York Times. She's been an analyst on Wall Street. She's incredibly sharp, very detail-oriented, and has found some fantastic, not only statistics, but also stories, highlights, and encouragements for our relationships. So would you welcome with me Shanti Feldhahn. Well, Shanti, I know I mentioned this to you um, when we talked the other day, but for the sake of everyone else, I thought it was worth just saying that uh, my wife and I have probably had every season of marriage that people feel like they go to. We've had the days that feel like I love my marriage and this is the best part of my life. We've, all, we've also had real challenges in our marriage. And some years ago, during probably the most challenging times, one of the things that um, I discovered that was so helpful to me was your work. And what I really appreciated about it was, I'll, I'll even own that I was at least 99.99% of the problem, which <laughs> it's not always the guy, we're not here to beat you up, but it was me. Uh, but in that moment, some of the research that you had done, just kind of the way that guys tend to work, the way they tend to think, some of those pieces, when we looked at your books, uh, For Women Only and For Men Only, I felt like hey, somebody understands me, right? That part of it isn't just like, I can't believe this guy is such an idiot, but that it's like, <laughs> hey, there actually may be something normal about that. So that while I still have things I want to work on, areas I want to grow, I really appreciated that there was someone who understood me kind of sharing to my better half. He may not be quite as uh, crazy as you think. <laughs> and so, um, so it was really encouraging to Melissa and I 
just to kind of dig into I'm some of that. I'm glad to hear that. Definitely, definitely. Right? Wouldn't it be terrible if I got up here and said it was useless and discouraging? <laughs> and no, it was really encouraging, and, and it got me thinking, you know, as we're going to spend some time today, we'll hit a little bit on some statistics about marriage, uh, some hope and good news about marriage, but it got me thinking, what gets you into this field of research oh. in the first place? Of all the things that you could have dove into, why this? I know. Well, and especially because I don't come from the normal background. When, when someone is up here talking about relationships, it's usually a psychologist, right, or a therapist. And <laughs> that is so not me. Um, I actually started out as an analyst on Wall Street. And this whole thing started, like God just put it on a different trajectory um, when Jeff and I moved from New York to Atlanta, where we live now, and I had this chance, it's a long story, but I had this chance to write a couple of novels. And one of the main characters in my novel was a guy, was a man. And I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. Like, I had no idea what this guy would be thinking, but I had to say what my main character was thinking, right? And so I'm like, okay, so I would talk to Jeff or talk to other guys, and as they started telling me what they'd be thinking, I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like I, I found myself pretty shocked, and then I started to realize um, what I was hearing was actually, it's not just that it was surprising, it was really foundational stuff. It wasn't just something that a guy might think or feel like every couple of months. These were things that these men were describing, thinking and feeling every day, and I'd been married about eight years at that point, and I'm like, well, you know, why have I not heard this before? And that, I think, is when the analyst hat went on. And it's a long story, but God made this amazing way for me to be able to do a, a big nationally representative survey of men, and that became the book that you're talking about, For Women okay. Only. And then we did the research on women for, for men only, and then talking about happy marriages and the workplace and parenting and all sorts of other studies. Yeah. Um, but that's the sort of trajectory of how all that started. I, I love the data because if I'm honest, like I, I don't always know what I'm thinking. So yeah, to write a novel and try to guess what a guy <laughs> is thinking. Uh, my wife certainly knows that I don't always know what I'm thinking. And I remember whenever I pick up a book like that, you know, it's, it's again, I don't know, Maybe this is just me, but I pick up the book and my, my gut reaction is, whatever I'm about to read, you don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> you Go ahead, do all your research, but I'm me and I think, you know, and it was really kind of striking to me how obviously, you know, not, not everyone thinks 100% the same thing all the time. Of you know, course, it's 80% yeah. of guys say this, you know, 93% of women feel this, um, but just how often it was like, oh, that actually is how I feel in those situations. <laughs> that actually is what I think about that, you know, wh whatever it is. Um, which kind of just opened a door for me to think, hey, there might be something I'm not paying attention to here. So as you think about that research, what was it then specifically now as you're focusing in on happy marriages and hope and good news for marriage? Right. What kind of got you on that specifically? So uh, at the same time that I was starting this research for these books, I was also a newspaper columnist. You remember newspapers? <laughs> back in the day. I've seen one, yes. <laughs> well, there used to be these things in paper. Uh, but I was a newspaper columnist, and I was doing a column on divorce. And, you know, being a researcher, I knew that I had to, you know, everybody knows the divorce rate is about 50%, but I wanted to look up what the actual number was. Mm -hmm. 
because, you know, maybe it's not 50, maybe it's 48.7. You know, I wanted to quote it right. And so I'm looking through all these government databases trying to, to get that number, and what I was seeing, like, none of them matched the narrative. Like, the Census Bureau, Bureau of Vital Statistics, CDC, like, all of these databases, none of them matched the narrative. And actually, none of them came close hmm. to anywhere close to a 50% divorce rate. And I started going, wait a minute, like, if that's true, if that, or if that's not true, that's a big deal. And so I started digging into that, and it took me a long time. Like, this project actually took me eight years because it was so complicated, it made my brain hurt. Mm. <laughs> but, but in the end, really recognizing where that, is, that conventional wisdom is not true, and it's done a lot of damage. Oh, I, and I've, I've used that, right? Like, I oh, know me too. I, I can think of, like, how I would tell people, well, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce, so we got to watch out and we got to work hard. And, um, and I think that, you know, that, that comes from a good place, but I think that is one of the aha moments yeah. that really struck me was like, oh, things are actually a lot more hopeful than kind of the, the general public or the general messaging really is. And so I wonder, you know, to, to say, hey, I saw this one stat and it didn't seem right, and then launch that into all of the work that you've done on it. Like, yeah. clearly, it, it feels important. So why is it so important that we kind of understand the real situation? So the reason, the reason why, there's many reasons, right? First of all, we should be lovers of truth, right? But in terms of the importance of it for us in our relationships and marriages, one of the things that Jeff and I have seen as we've done all these research studies over the years, because we talk to so many people, um, we were just out in the hallway talking to somebody who it turns out we interviewed for one of our research uh, projects like nice. 10 years ago. It was like, whoa, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but as we're talking to, to couples, we started to see and have now seen over the years that whether a marriage survives or fails, there's really just one common denominator underneath what happens. There's lots of factors that lead to that, but in terms of that outcome, does it make it or not, there's really just one, and that's does the couple have a sense of hope or do they have a sense of futility? And that's really it. Like, if you're going through a really rough time in your marriage, but you think, you know what, we're gonna make it, it's hard but right now, but we're gonna make it, you usually do. It's when you start feeling that sense of futility, we're not going to make it. Yeah. That's where it starts to tear everything down. Because think about it, <clears throat> if you're thinking, you're working and you're working, and you start thinking, you know what, the ship is going to sink anyway. Why bother spending so much energy trying to bail it out if it's just going to sink anyway? If it's going to sink anyway, it's better for me just to spend all that energy so that we escape the wreck intact. And so that sense of futility becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so recognizing, wait a minute, we have a culture-wide feeling of futility about marriage mm. based on conventional wisdom that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was talking to a couple last week that as they're preparing for marriage, 
you know, it's like they've had to work through, you know, what do you do when you face conflict and what do you do about finances <laughs> and intimacy and all these kind of deep and heavy topics. And um, I could just tell that what they needed to hear was just like, hey, you guys are going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, yes. like there's it's, marriage is good and you can enjoy it. And um, and there is some hard work to do, but it, like it's a good thing, you know, yeah. and it, it kind of struck me that it's a little bit like um, if, if I use a different example, when one of our kids is doing math homework and you can just see it on his face when he hits a difficult problem and he's starting to struggle and what comes out of his mouth is, I can't do it. And like as a parent, like yeah. you just know, as soon as I've heard him say, I can't do it, it's like some part of your brain like literally turns off and now you can't. Um, and so what we try to encourage our, our son is, hey, don't say I can't. So I know it's hard, but you do know how to do this and you can ask me for help, you know? Yeah. That the solution-oriented part of that just makes the whole math homework experience different uh, and can make the, the marriage experience different too. Totally. Well, I mean, think about how it changes to have, to walk into a marriage with a feeling of hope as opposed to, uh, right? Like li literally um, the, the statistics, do you mind if I share a couple of the, sure. the stats? I mean, nobody knows, I should probably say, nobody knows what the numbers actually are. I should probably say that right up front. That's one of the reasons the bad numbers have been mm. allowed to keep going. Um, but we, we know that, and this is as of a few years ago, and the numbers have only gotten better, um, but as of a few years ago, 71% uh, of people were still married to their first spouse. So 29% aren't. And by the way, that 29% includes everyone who is married for 50 years and their spouse died. That's not just divorce. That's death and divorce. And so no one knows the exact divorce rate, but we can get a whole lot closer. So it's got to be less than 29. You can kind of add in a rate of widowhood and maybe say it's somewhere around 25%. Now, Obviously, 25%, that's still too high, sure. but it's a universe difference. When you go into marriage or you go into a second marriage and you think, you know, yeah, this will be challenged, there are going to be challenges, but we're going to make it. Mm -hmm. You probably do. And so that to me is the encouragement to people is that there's still, in using your phrase, there's still work to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to be vigilant about it, but recognizing God designed this covenant for our good. Like it's supposed to reflect yeah. us and him. And he wants that to be an abundant relationship. He wouldn't make this, this impossible thing that somehow we've managed to break. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so even, so thinking about that messaging, cause I love what you just said. Like it is so encouraging to me that my, my, approach to the whole thing is not just I've got to try harder to have a better marriage it's literally like God created it for this he wants this for you he says he'll help <laughs> you know like oh well dear lord you know um so I, I kind of wonder like if that is the messaging for example all through the bible hey God has designed this for good he wants it to be good and he wants to help it be good um, where do the stats come from then that we've believed kind of this other messaging? It's a great question. So the, the short version of a very long story is that the 
perception, the conventional wisdom, comes from and started in the 1970s. So, and here's what I'm going to encourage everybody today. The next time that you see something in the media that says Professor so-and-so is talking about the divorce rate, he projects a 47% divorce rate, take a pen and circle the word projects, okay? What happened in the 1970s um, is that no-fault divorce came into being, right? And so you could get divorced just because you wanted to as opposed to having to convince a judge that there was a reason to allow it. And so suddenly there was just this explosion in divorce. And so starting in 1972, when you look at the divorce statistics, they, they had been going on like this forever and then suddenly started to rise. And all of the, the statisticians and the demographers of the day started going, if this keeps up, we're going to hit 50% someday. Mm. And, but in 1980, that kind of trend where people were just rushing into divorce, everyone saw what kind of damage that was doing. And so in 1980, it hit a peak. And it's been coming down ever since then. And actually, the most recent statistics are now that we are below where we were in the 1970s. We're like actually better today oh. um, because people saw the damage. And so that, that dynamic of people projecting, it, we've never hit that number ever. Now, for society as a whole, there are some high risk groups that have hit that 50% divorce rate. I think, you know, if you get extreme, married extremely young, for example, that you probably do have a 50, 55%, I can't remember the number is, but if you get married as a teenager, um, that is a super high divorce rate. But that is nowhere close sure. to the average couple. Um, so anyway, that, to me, sort of counteracting that narrative is so, so crucial. Right. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. So I like the stats and I like to, I like spreadsheets and, you know, pump things out that way. And at the same time, I'm also like, I'm actually only thinking about one marriage today, <laughs> right? Like I'm thinking about me and Melissa, you know, what does it look like for Melissa and I to have a happy marriage, you know, regardless of what the stats that, you know, represent yes, the whole group exactly. or the whole nation or, or whatever that is. And so I know, I, I think it's worth owning that even as we sit here this morning, like I know enough of you to know that there are people in the room who are preparing for marriage right now. You're excited, you're looking forward to it, you want to know how do I make the most of it and be happy. Um, there are people who are married right now. And even within that, some of us are hurting, some of us are really hurting, some of us are feeling good, some of us are feeling plateaued. I know that we can be all over the map. And so it's, it's also one of those places where even as we talk about statistics and we talk about tips and we talk about recommendations, um, I, I want you to hear just from your church family at Horizon that wherever you are on that, whether you need encouragement, whether you need counseling, I can tell you I love marriage counseling. <laughs> My wife and I have done that too um, and can help you get connected to those kinds of things. Just like the kid doing his math homework, sometimes it's just <laughs> as simple to say like, hey, can somebody help me here? Because I think I can get this, but I need a little help. And so I want to encourage you. That's a big part of what we're here for. And I know that uh, Chad, John, Ryan, myself, 
um, Gail Maui, we would love to talk to you if there's some way that we can lean in and just help be a part of that encouragement. And, and I think part of, just, just from my own heart, and I think I mentioned this to you, Shanti, but part of why that's important to me is because I've had that moment where I needed that help mm. and where I have this picture in my head that marriage is complicated, marriage is hard, and like for some of the conversation we've already had, like is my ultimate goal don't end up divorced? <laughs> like, <laughs> or actually, am I looking to like really enjoy a happy marriage? Yes, exactly. So while there is hard work to do, how would you kind of reframe that part of the conversation? Well, I think you just said it. So because it, <laughs> it, it always, I don't know about you guys, but every time I'm at a wedding and I, I watch the pastor, you know, the couple comes up and the pastor stands there to give the message. And whenever I see a pastor go, you know, marriage is hard. <laughs> it's just hard. I'm like, dude, that's not the most, like, imp right. that's not the best advertisement for marriage, for this amazing institution, this covenant that God created that's supposed to reflect, like we were talking about, this abundant relationship. And we know we're human. It's not always going to be that way. Sometimes it's going to be really, really hard. But I think what we mean when we say marriage is hard, I think what we mean is marriage takes hard work sometimes, mm. right? Like that it just does, but there's nothing inherently rocket scientist-ish about marriage. Sure. You don't need like a PhD in psychology and a minor in mind reading. Like you, <laughs> it, that truly God has created this in such a way that and by the way, the statistics on this are remarkable. When I say this, that, that God has created marriage in such a way that sometimes, and oftentimes I should say, little things can actually make a really, really big difference. Mm. Where literally, there was a study that was done. It was one of the gold standard studies that was done a number of years ago by this really amazing group of researchers. So nobody could argue with the research. And they found that if the, the couples who were in the most desperate place in their marriage, if they stayed married for five years, 80% of those marriages were very happy five years mm. later, which is astounding. And some like, some people in the media, some people in like academia kind of mocked that study as it's the spontaneous remission study. Like it just, the problems went away. No. Mm. But it's literally the fact of the commitment of we're going to work this through and people discover, no, it doesn't have to be incredibly complicated. Yeah. You just really, truly have to keep putting that one foot in front of the other. And then 80%, we're very happy. This is not just, okay, we'll endure for the rest of our lives, yeah. right? Which, okay, God might call some of us to that at some point, but I mean, truly... God, really, most people love being married. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I want us to think about next because um, you did a three-year study of kind of the happiest couples. Yes. And, that was um, a fun one. That does sound fun. <laughs> Talk to people about what, what, what's going good right now. And as you did that, one of the things that you found um, that was in the book uh, Secrets of Happy Marriages is there's kind of like this one prerequisite that it seemed like all of them had that yes. really helped on that path to something happy. 
Yes. So whenever I read something like that, I'm like, and, and what is it? And what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, and this, and by the way, this, we sh I should explain, this was a nationally representative survey, and it was what's called a matched pair survey, where the couple didn't know what each other was answering. There was okay. no way for them to know that. Um, but we knew that, like, husband 137 was married to wife 137, right? Like, so we could figure that out. And, and one of the things that just blew me out of the water is there's this incredible power if you believe the best of your spouse's intentions, even when you're legitimately hurt. Because everybody gets hurt. Like, even the happiest marriages can sometimes, you know, we will get into those conflicts. And we saw both all the way through, we had a study group, kind of complicated, but we had a study group of people who had gone from being in the most desperate place in their marriage to being as part of the happiest couples. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things we found in that as well, is that there is a, there is a human tendency um, when our spouse hurts our feelings. And like, if, if Jeff were to do something to hurt my feelings, not that you ever Someday, if that, that ever happened, right, Jeff? That, right, like <laughs> hypothetically. Um, if he were to do something that hurts my feelings, there's a natural human tendency to go subconsciously to kind of go like, ow, and you subconsciously kind of think to yourself, he knew how that would make me feel and he said it anyway. Mm. And you don't realize that what you're thinking is he doesn't care about me. Or like a guy's narrative might be, you know, nothing I do is ever good enough for her. And you don't realize you're thinking she doesn't care about me, right? She doesn't appreciate me. And the happiest couples, they flipped that. And the people who'd gone from being unhappy to happy, they flipped that, where they said, no, uh-uh, no, I know he loves me. I know she appreciates me, so they must not have known how that would make me feel or they wouldn't have said it. Hmm. And it's believing the best yeah. of your spouse's intentions. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I, I love that because... I, I can literally remember like the room that Melissa and I were standing in, like the day we kind of figured that out <laughs> and just, just asking each other, like, would you please like assume the best of me, you know, and just realizing like how often when I start to feel hurt, I start to think like, I'm, I'm the one who did this good thing and this good thing. And I'm just <laughs> trying to, and they're like, all, all the problems start to stack up on the other side right. you know, of the argument. And if I can, if I can tell you one story of this, um, that's funny now, but it wasn't funny when it happened. But like a, just a classic example, one of the you know, biggest fights that Melissa and I had was she was working, uh, she was gone all day, and I think she was still doing like close to 12-hour days at that point. I mean, she'd just been gone all day. And so I'm thinking like, this is my chance to win husband of the year. <laughs> so I was like, I'm cleaning the house. I think I even vacuumed. Like I probably even did the toilets, you guys. Like I was, gonna, I was on this, you know. I'm taking care of the kids and, and I'm thinking, and I'm gonna make dinner. And by the time I finished all the other stuff, I was like, dinner's gonna be tricky, so freezer pizza. So I, I put a freezer pizza in there for the kids because the four of them, they were still little, so one pizza should be enough for four small kids. Um, and then, because remember, I'm trying to win father of the year, husband of the year. So when Melissa gets home, I'll make her whatever she wants for dinner. So when Melissa gets home, completely exhausted, just totally fried. I mean, the, the job was hard and the day was long. She walks into the kitchen and sees one freezer pizza sitting on top of the stove and says, is that all there is? 
<laughs> is that all there is? Is that all there is? Do you have any idea what I've been through today? I've done, and immediately, like, right, I'm listing off. I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And, and like, laughing at it as we look back now, it's like, well, no wonder she thought that. One freezer pizza for six people? Like, this is not happening, and she, I'm, I'm so hungry, and I just got home, and like, it was totally a normal thing to say, but in my mind, it's exactly what you just said. Yeah. I assumed the worst of her, that she didn't even care. She didn't even know. Yeah. But that somehow she didn't care about me. So having recognized that, it's easier to catch that in myself now. But man, what a difference it makes if when that moment that something in me triggers hurt, yeah. I can think, believe the best about her. Yeah. Assume that there's something going on that I don't know or what, that she doesn't mean what I just jumped to the conclusion that she means. And I, and I think, um, I'm going to ask you this question because I'm really intrigued by this. I think that it's like when I keep score, right? And we hear this, like, you shouldn't keep score because I'm thinking, you know, she did this and she did this and she did this and I'm the one who this, this, this and this. You know, I'm doing all the good right. things. And, um, but in, in your book, in the Surprising Secrets of Happy Marriages, I think it says that happy couples keep score. Yeah. Do tell. They do. <laughs> they just do it totally differently. Because, I mean, we all know, okay, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's accurate that from a certain perspective, we shouldn't keep score. But the happiest couples, when we started looking at all the data, it was so amazing. They do keep score, but completely differently. They keep score of what the other person is giving. Mm. And it's like this constant awareness of what the other person is doing and giving in the marriage. And so it leads to this really interesting dynamic. Do you mind if I use your example of the... Fine of by the, me. The, okay. <laughs> and I talked to Melissa, Melissa between over services. There to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine by her too. <laughs> I okay. asked her in between services, so we're good. Um, okay. And, but for example, like suppose that um, you had looked at her the day before and she's working a long shift, and she's exhausted, and she's doing all this stuff, and she's with the kids, and maybe she's driving them to activities or whatever, and you're looking at her going, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's such a good mom. Look how, oh man, if they had said that to me, I would have like lost my top, but she's so patient. Like whatever it is, right? And you're looking at what she's giving, and you have this sense of gratitude for her. So you think, the next day, of course I'm going to vacuum. Of course I'm going to do the toilets, right? Like, <laughs> of course I'm going to do dinner. Like, how could I not? You know, with such an amazing wife. And then she comes home, and yeah, okay, so there's the, the she's worried about a pizza for six people. <laughs> but, but then she's like, wow, he spent all day and he did the laundry, and I was so, like, not looking forward to doing the laundry. That was so sweet of him. What can I do for him? And, you know, being that, that sense of gratitude, mm. it builds on itself to the point where this is not artificial. Like, right. when I talk about, like, the happiest couples believe the best of each other's intentions, for example, this is not artificial. This is not building something that's not there. Like, statistically, just so you know, that that is the way most people feel about each other. They do care about each other. I mean, even, by the way, in the most difficult relationships, 
the vast majority, it's almost 100%, sadly not 100%, but it's close. Um, and, and it's the same thing with looking for what the other person is giving. There could be real issues over here, right? Some real challenges that we're dealing with or character issues or whatever it is, but there's always something to be grateful for. And there's always something that it's really easy for our brain to go right over here. And yet there's all this wonderfulness too. And so, I mean, it's kind of what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church in Philippi, right? Like, you want to know how to rejoice in a difficult situation? Think on whatever is lovely. Hmm. Think on whatever is excellent and whatever is worthy of praise. And that is God's prescription, I guess. That's kind of the way he's wired us, is when we look at that stuff, we're going to see it more. And that idea of giving, you know, like thinking about, like if you keep score of what they're giving, you know, the things you would celebrate, you know, it reminds me so much of the way that we talk about how, I mean, Jesus teaches it this way, right? Like, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, and a new commandment I give you, love others as I have loved you, um, that we forgive because he forgave us. I thought when you, when you begin to think that way, instead of just, you know, I should forgive her because it's the right thing to do, or mm. I should forgive her because otherwise it's going to come back to bite me or this or that, you know, whatever. But when you start to think, man, I mean, he forgave me, and I want to forgive. And, and I can just tell you, I, I, I know that, like, the New Testament talks about how our marriages can be an example of Christ in the church. Like, our marriages as imperfect as they are, can display the good news about Jesus to people around us. And I've just found in my own life that it is so true. Like, sometimes the clearest picture I have of who Christ is is when Melissa forgives me and I don't really deserve to be forgiven. That's good. And it's like, that is what Jesus looks like. Yeah. And so I think my encouragement for myself is, you know, keep thinking about the giving, you know, keep celebrating the other person. That's kind of a weird way to keep score that I hadn't thought about before, but there's something kind of fun about that. It is, and it's statistically helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) you you, you know, you talk about happy marriages. It's like I feel happier just even in that moment of trying to change my mindset from, you know, woe is me or feel bad about myself to, well, what what do I appreciate about that other person? and so I think I, I want to ask you this. I know you found this in the research too, and it's just so striking to me because you said that people who have a happy marriage aren't really focused on trying to have a happy marriage, right? Correct. As opposed to yes. got to be happy, got to be happy, got to be happy. Why didn't it work? <laughs> There's something else that they're focused on that naturally leads to happier marriage. Yes. Tell and, us about that. And this is this is also diving back into the statistics we were talking about earlier about the divorce rate and whatever, mm-hmm. um, because it, it is the, the truth, the bottom line, is that the happiest marriages are far more likely to be those that put God at the center of their marriage, mm-hmm. and that both the husband and the wife are looking to the Lord for that. And, and the statistics that we've heard have often discouraged us in that. Like, I think probably a lot of people will have heard that narrative that the rate of divorce is the same in the church. And... And all the demographers, by the way, every demo- there's, there's controversy about what the divorce rate is. Like if you asked 
different demographers, you're going to get 10 different answers, mm -hmm. right? There is no debate about this. Everybody knows that if you are a regular church attender, your chances of having a marriage fail go way down. Like the divorce rate, I think, drops by up to, I think the latest numbers are up to 58% or something like that. Um, and your chances of having a happy marriage go way up. That's, there's literally no debate about that. But we believe it's true because of the way that an old George Barna study was misinterpreted. And so we've repeated the rate of divorce is the same in the church. And it's not true. Hmm. And it, it is the fun, one of the funnest things for me. Because I, I, I interview a lot of random people. Like, not just the formal interviews and the formal surveys, but like, I'll go up to a couple at the airport who looks like all lovey-dovey and I'll be like, so tell me what the secret of your happy marriage is, you know? I'll carry a book with me so they don't think I'm weird. Like, I promise I'm a social researcher. But like, literally, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've talked to a couple and have said, what's the secret to your happy marriage? And they look at each other and then they look at me and they say, it's because of Jesus Christ. And you can see that they're thinking to themselves, oh, this is a chance to witness to a social researcher. Like, this is so exciting, you know? But it's true. Like, God truly has created this for our good and his glory. And it doesn't always work right in the way we think it, we sh that it should. But if we're both focused on trying to, to talk to him, not just to each other, it really does make a difference. That, that is so affirming. And I think, um, you know, if you're sitting here today, if you're joining us wherever you are, like, hey, I'm attending right now. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> this is going to help, I think, then. It's true, but though. But I'll tell you, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, it's so affirming to me because I've, you, so add me to your statistics. You can put Melissa and I in there, too. All right. Because I've become convinced that the absolute best marriage advice is if, he goes and talks to Jesus, and she goes and talks to Jesus. Like he's not going to tell you different things. Yeah. But even better than that, he doesn't just like slap you and say, get back out there and try harder. Like he says, I will help you. I will give you my spirit. I will give you my love, my peace, my joy, my patience, my self-control. So that Jesus actually becomes like exactly like you. I mean, I love that now I'm like, I have research to back this up. <laughs> you know? Um, but it makes such perfect sense when you, when you hear who Jesus says that he is, what he came to do, and what he offers us. It's like, and you've got the data to back it up. It actually yeah. works. Like, that is who he is, and that's what he wants for our marriages. Well, Shanti, can I just thank you? I'm, I'm so thankful that we were able to chat with you today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks I, for... I, there's so much more in here that I know we could talk about that really just is so encouraging. But thank you for sharing this with us today. Can we give Shanti a big Absolutely. thank you? Absolutely. And I'm actually going to invite the band to come out to play one more song for us. Because as you listen to this, it's a song about this idea that if the bones are good, you know, like if a house has good bones, it's not going to fall down. If the bones of the relationship are good, then it's almost like nothing else we face matters because that foundation is in place. And you know that as we read through the Bible, it's continually talking about how Christ is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. And so as you listen to this song, as you think about what Shanti shared, I want you to feel the encouragement 
of the hope and the good news. Whether you're thinking about a marriage today or maybe some other relationship in a family, whether it's someone that you are trying to repair a relationship with or just build that thing to be happier, think about what it means to have good bones to that relationship with Christ as our foundation.